0: Thanksgiving came awfully early this year, did it not? It's crazy. So, uh, but because of that, I think, I just sort of hit me, I think there's going to be a very long Christmas season. I'm not sure if that's good or bad, you know, it just depends on how you are. I do know this that one of the things you really got to watch for during the holidays is not let yourself slip away from the things that really matter. You know, I want you to, and I do. Try to enjoy your family and the season and all that stuff. But if you ever lose the reason for the season, you've lost. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've you've been robbed from. It. But uh, if you can take the season and then focus it on the reason for it, then you really are enriched. And and one of the things I really appreciate what you guys did today, even though it's still February, I mean February, uh, Thanksgiving season, uh, November, is those Christmas carols. Uh, you know. Th- there, is the, there are riches that are hidden still in the body of Christ that's been there for years and centuries even. And some of the riches that we, were, that we should come, sometimes go back and uncover again are in things like that. There was uh, some of those lyrics in the, those uh, Christmas carols. Have you ever seen them before? We always sing the first, the first stanza, you know, and, and we miss some of the depth that's in the song. You know, it's a, it's an ode to Jesus or the greatness of God. And it reminds me of being Baptist growing up. We always sang the first, third, first, second, and fourth stanza. I Made mean, you always wonder, what's in that third one that's so bad? Let's sing the third stanza today. You know, we never did. And there's, there's amazing stuff in there. So I anyway, mean, I, I like, I like those carols. I like old hymns because there's some depth in there. And you know, and, and such is our family. The family of God. It's not just those here today. It's those who eternal. The eternal family of God. They're our relatives. And it is a nice thing to see what they thought about God. You know, how they express that. Cause it, it enriches me. It's a part of me. It's like being in the same DNA, uh, pool. And I think that's a good thing. Now, one thing about this year, this has been quite the year, and uh, 2018 has been. We're closing it out here soon on the natural calendar. We already have on the spiritual calendar. But uh, it the, the amount of serious words of God, revelations even, that have been unleashed this year, I don't know if I've ever seen a year that's been quite this heavy as far as, the amount of heavy words, revelations—I mean, mind blowers. It's like everybody that comes here just brings a level they haven't, we haven't seen before, or we haven't seen in a long, long time. And uh, it reminds me of the scripture in First uh, Corinthians fourteen, when Paul was talking about, you know, the, the flow of the gifts in a, in a church service. He says, "If there's prophets there." Uh, let them prophesy two or three, at, you know, at the most, and uh, and not interrupt each other. But if something is is revealed to one of them, let the other ones keep silent while this one speaks by the Spirit of the Lord. And so there's sort of a an interplay going on between these two or three prophets going on, and God by His Spirit is speaking out some things, things that people don't know, new things. I sort of get that sense right now in this season that we've been in. It's like, you know, Al's come in, Janine's come in, uh, uh, Jill. Boy, was that a word? Bring down mercy? Oh, good Lord. So it's like, you know, okay, now you stop for a minute. Now you say what God's bringing you because it's a real heavy shot here. And it goes with all these other things. that They don't even know they're fixed to speak. But I'm going to give them something as well. So the Spirit is just like a river. It's just flowing. and And it's so cool to watch God use all these different people as they come in here. Now I have to confess, it's been sort of a, uh, uh, unusual for me in the way I do things because I like to do you know a series of things, three or four sermons in a row of a, of a, of a subject matter, and but it's kept, it keeps on interrupting those series. But that's a good thing because the things that these guys are bringing are just awesome, and they seem to be fitting and bringing in new things to me, and we just kind of feed off each other, so it's really kind of cool. So today. What I want to do is kind of go back a little bit of the things that god's been showing me and and kind of keep us going in that in that realm as well good okay, so if you would uh turn with me to Exodus we're going to kind of review a few things that have been spoken here not just by me but by others as well it's It's been crazy God's giving them the same verses even so uh It's almost like the spirit of prophecy has been unshackled, not held down at all, and it's just going. And I've not felt this way really in a long, long, long time, like decades. Exodus 33 is a scripture that started coming at me back in the summertime, and God just keeps adding to it. And what really is interesting and, 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 thankful for is that he's been giving this to others as well, like Al. Uh, he, he starts bringing scriptures or, or teachings around the same scriptures that I'm getting. And, and I know that what he gave me added to Al. But then Al comes back, you know, like, bam, and that means this. And, and away we go with, with new stuff. It's amazing. So, we are, we are headed toward, uh the last big moment of history, and I don't know when it's going to take place, you know, you, you hear different, I guess, predictions about that. Some people think it happen fairly soon. Some people think it might be 20 years away. But the end of things is coming. I do think, yeah, if I was a betting man, and I'm not, but if I were, uh, I would probably bet that I will see the end of things. Now I've been in, you know, I've been in places in my life where I didn't think that. So you know, trust me, right? Uh, but I, I I can see it. I can see the train coming around the bend. Now what I've learned in life is that what appears to us to be about a a, oh, a three day event is going to turn into thirty years. You know, our predictions are usually way off with God, but He does let you see it, and I see that train coming. Call called the end of things. And at the end of things, when Jesus comes back, there, we will fulfill a scripture in Hebrews 12. You don't need to go there. But in Hebrews 12, it talks about that time in this way. It says, there is a second shakening. A shaking again. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth at the end. And he said it one more time, referring to the fact that he's already shook it once. He shook it during the days when God went to Egypt, took the people out of there with Moses, came to a mountain in the wilderness called Mount Sinai, offered them the covenant. And when they said yes, he shook the mountain and it freaked them out. And he says, yet once more I will shake, but this time it ain't going to be just one mountain. It's going to be the heavens and the earth and everybody that's in there. So the whole world will get to see what went on. So is that a bad thing? Is shaking a bad thing? Well, it can be. But that's not God's intention necessarily. When he shook the earth the first time, it was so that he could show them the greatness of God that they had just made a covenant with. That wasn't bad. That was actually exciting and great. So for the right people, the shaking is actually a good thing. But if you're on the wrong side of the coin, it's not a good thing. It is something to be afraid of, very afraid of. Well, in Exodus 33, uh, we are at that time where he shook the earth the first time. We were just right after it. And (laughs) typical people, you know, just like us. An an amazing, wonderful thing happens to them. And it ain't, I mean, 40 days later, they have completely blown it. It took 40 days for them to blow the most amazing thing that God had done up to that point. He shook a mountain. And 40 days later, they have blown it. So after that, I mean, you would think, if you were a logical person like most males, You think, that's it. But like most females, it's never really over, is it? God made them both. So there you go. There's always another chance with God. I like that. There's always another chance to get to his heart. But he's going to test you to see if you really want it this time. He offers it for almost for nothing the first time. Second time, it costs you. It'll cost you big. Do you really want it? So, Exodus 33, is they have blown it. And God says, okay, Moses is interceding. And and God says, okay, go into the promised land. I promised you I would do it. I promised Abraham I would do it. So, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you that promised land. But get out of here, and I'm not going with you. I don't want to be around you, basically what he's saying. Because if I was around you, I would consume you. I think he's still a little angry. So anyway, he makes him an offer. You can have all the blessings, but you can't have me. Is that good enough? There's your test. If you were offered everything that God has promised you, but you wouldn't have his presence, would that be good enough for you? I think that's the test that's going to be on all of us as we go forward. In fact, if you see in Exodus 33, verse 3, he says, what well, I just uh, referred to verse 3, Go up to the land, flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And So everybody just freaks out when he says that. And in, And here's a good word for some of you. When it looks bad, press in. When you've been exposed in your worst state, And we all have shown our rears before, have we not? One of you. I mean, his is so amazing. We've all done that. Don't kid yourself. Your righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. The best you got is nothing, really. That's the truth. And sometimes it's out there to be seen. We all have the bad stuff. And when it's exposed... I'm giving you a heads up. Press in. That's when you press in. It doesn't seem logical, but I'm telling you, that's the key. Press in. And so they begin to press in. The offer was there. And Moses pressed in. Joshua pressed in. There was a tabernacle put out there for those that wanted to seek God. They went there. And it it touched God. And so he comes back and says, okay, 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 okay. I'm going to go with you. And now, so we pick that up in verse 15. Then he said, to, to, Moses says to God, So if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then it will be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us. So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Now, the question that I want to bring to you today is are you willing to be separate? Are you willing to be separate? Are you willing to be different from all the people that are upon the earth? Because, folks, going forward, that will be the, that will be the test that will be, has to be answered, is if you're willing to be separate. And no one's going to force that on you, by the way. It's your choice. It really is your choice. And we have to honor that choice in one another. It, it can shake you a little bit when you watch people that you love waver over that choice. It's tough. Are you willing to be separate? Now, Al brought this, this uh, last time he was here a couple of weeks ago. And if you didn't hear him on Sunday morning, I would highly recommend that you go back and watch that on Facebook Live. That was an amazing sermon. He talked about this separate thing. That's why I'm bringing it up here. We're going to take it and add to it today. The word itself is what's well, interesting. In the in English, is separate, but in uh, the, the Hebrew word is pala, which means wonder. Will you be a wonder? Now, being a wonder is different by its very nature. It's different than normal people. But will you be that? And Moses says, don't go with us. Because this is how... I mean, don't go unless you come with us. You've got to go with us. That's what makes us different. Now, if you're not willing to be different, then, you know, you're going to have a hard time ahead of you. I can just tell you that right now. I will tell you that much. Choices made today, you will reap them later. Choices you make in any part of your life, you will reap at some point in your life. Count on it. How many times have you... Pass the, here I go, I'll make my own choices here. Make it. Pass the cop, not get a ticket. you think, wow, made it. All the, time. All the time. But you will pay for that, that, what you just sold to, eventually. You will. How many guys, you guys who've been there, uh, been in prison, how many are there because of something else they did? They, in other words, they, I'm innocent of what put me in here. But what else did you do? Okay, so usually I found a bunch of guys, well, I didn't do what they put me in jail for. Well, what else did you do? And then you'll find about 10 other things they did that was worse than the one they got put in jail for. You will reap what you sow. It's just a matter of when. And I love that proverb says, you do not know what God's going to do. So how can you know when? Great. It will come. So, we get to make this choice. Now, we first see this uh, uh, back in Exodus 8. I want you to hold your place here. We'll come back to it in a minute. But in Exodus 8, we see the first use of this word "pala." This word "pala." There's actually two. One's a noun, one's a verb. I'm not going to go into all that. That, that was kind of hard to follow. But in Exodus 8, we see the first time he asked this question or uses this point about being separate. It's when Moses is being used by God to unleash these ten various plagues, which are definitely judgments against Egypt. The fourth one is in Exodus eight, verse twenty. It says the plague of flies. All right. So he unleashes flies all over the land, and in verse twenty-two, he says this: I will in that day I will set apart. Same word, pala. I will separate. The land of Goshen, where the Jews were, is a part of, it's like Texas in America. Probably is Texas. It's the good spot. But the rest of the land is going to get flies, but Texas is not. Amen. It's because we're good, right? And that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. And again, it goes back to the question. Are you willing for that to happen to you? That suddenly you will be different than everybody you follow on Facebook? Or Instagram? Or anything else that you do? Are you willing to come away? Now, there's scriptures all over the Bible... As we approach that last thing where it says, come out from among them, my people, and be separate, and don't touch the unclean thing. That theme runs through the Bible. Are you willing? That's what God will do at the end. Are you going to be a part of that party? Well, uh, go back a little bit more. Look at Exodus chapter 3. It's not just this being a, a wonder. There's also this, this part of doing it. When he sent Moses in to Egypt in chapter 3, he tells him before he gets there, I want to tell you to go in there and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he's not going to do it. And then you're going to do stuff. Verse 19, I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by mighty hands. So, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, pala, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. Okay, so, on the one hand, and we know what those wonders were, right? Ten different plagues. He calls those wonders. And one of the things that he does that's also wonderful is he takes his people and he separates his people from those who are getting the brunt of this thing. Three different times he said that among the ten plagues, three different times he said, I will separate my people from those people so you'll know. There is a difference about who's getting what. The last one was the plague of the firstborn. If you didn't have that blood on your lintel. Of your doorpost, you lost your firstborn. But if you did, you were saved. You were separate. Now, that's the question for us as we go forward. Will we be that? Go back to Exodus 33. When Moses told him, look, you, you gotta keep this going. As we go into the promised land, the same thing that we saw in Egypt, you treat us differently than you do the people that you we're dispossessing. There's no reason for us to go. There has to be a real contrast before the world for them to see why what's happening is happening. We are different because of you. So let's go forward. And God said, okay. And, then, and again, it just amazes me that He he... He strikes this deal with Moses right after they blew it. After they've shown their worst side, he gives them a better deal. That's a good God. You can't beat these kind of things. And so, uh, Moses, I, I love his attitude. And and you I, you see this with some people, they just keep pressing the issue. And you have a child like that, that what you give them ain't enough, they vote on another something, they just keep pushing it. Well, how does that make you feel? Does it irritate you? Here's the good news. God's not like that. He kind of likes that. Y'all remember the story about uh, two of the disciples of Jesus, James and John? Their mother, boy, I really relate to this. Their mother goes to Jesus and says, I want you to do something for me. And he says, what? Grant these my two sons. We'll set one on your right hand and one on your left hand in your kingdom. Now, she's pushing it, don't you think? You got 12 disciples, and here she stood a little private get-together with Jesus and trying to pull one for her kids. You know what Jesus said? He didn't say, I rebuke you for pushing that. He said, well, not a bad deal, except it's not mine to give. He didn't say, yo, get out of my face or nothing. He said, you know, good shot, but it's just not mine to give. That's for God to give. So he doesn't rebuke you for asking for more of the kingdom. He kind of likes it. And that's what Moses does here. After all this stuff, he's, he's playing on house money now for all you gamblers. I mean, he's got it back to where it was before they blew it. And now he pushes it even more. By saying, okay, done. I like this deal. So now, give me more. Show me your glory. That was a big issue. Big question. Will you show me your glory? And again, God says this. Nobody has ever seen my glory. Nobody. What a question to ask God. Show me something that nobody has ever seen. Did it bother God? Not at all. He likes that attitude. And he basically says, okay. And here's how he says, okay. So let's look down in verse um, 21. God says, yes, I will do this. And in order of, let's pick up verse 20. He says, but you can't see my face. For no man will see me and live. But I'm going to show you my glory, but you're not going to see the you ain't going to see my face. And the Lord said to him, now, here's how we're going to do this. Here is a place by me, and you will stand upon a rock. So it shall be that while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft that rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass you by. And I'll take away my hand, and you'll see my back, but my face will not be seen. So let's look at this. All right. And this is the revelation God gave me back in the summertime. Uh, Man, it really hit me. You know, I've I've seen the glory thing a million times, but I never really saw that part where God says there is a place by me, and you can come there. I've never saw that. There's a place by God. I can go there. Isn't that crazy? How many people went there that day? One. One person. So it seems to be kind of a special place. Would you agree? He didn't say, oh, go get your friends. I'll tell everybody in Israel, show up on Thursday. He said, no. You ask, I'm going to give this to you. A place by me. And God has been ministering to me ever since then. That he wants us to know. That place by him is still there. For those of us who will ask... To go there. It's a very special place. Never, everybody doesn't go there, folks. But you should count yourself as blessed. Because in this church, that has been brought to the table. Just kind of like it was with Moses. Because he went so far with God, something that nobody else saw was offered to him. But nobody else now, I'm not trying to blow your dress up and make your head to get fatter than it already is or anything like that. But if I do, you know, God will humble you. Maybe I should do that so God can humble you. But just to let you know, there's more. There is more. And so, and when he got there, he says, and there's a rock there, by the way. And I want to, I want you to stand on that rock. And here's what I'm going to do. I want to cover you with my hand, hide you. And then here comes my glory. All right. Is Moses the only one that's ever been there? And the answer to that is no. No. Uh, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I, I did a, a series, I mean, a sermon on others who've been there or who were asked, To go there. And various people. There was a, uh, David. He talked about, look at all these, look at all these banners. They're all about Psalm 91. Look at that one in the middle. He shall cover you with his feathers. That's what he did with Moses. I'm gonna cover you with my hand. I'll cover you. There is a refuge. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Where's that That, Right over there. That's that hiding place, that place next to God. David saw it. And he wrote about it extensively. In fact, we'll see some other uh, scriptures later. That was one of the themes of, of David's ministry, was to talk about that place. Okay? So David was one. He wasn't the only one. As a matter of fact, all the Levites in the Old Testament, the priests, the whole tribe of the Levites, were invited into being in that place. To stand before God. Now, some of them blew it. And in the New Testament, there is a, when Jesus comes back, he will reestablish another temple. It's called the Ezekiel Temple, the Millennial Temple. In that temple, the Levites who fell along with the people of Israel, who, who, he, they ministered to, to them during their time of idolatry. They didn't make a distinction for the people between what was profane and what was holy. They just sort of went along with it. Kind of like the church of today. There's a lot of, the church of today has quit being salt in lots of places. So when the millennial temple comes back, during the thousand-year reign. Those those Old Testament priests that did that, they can't minister in that temple before the Lord. They can be in the outer court. But there was a small group called the the sons of Zadok. They were Levites as well. They didn't faint in the day of adversity and, and when the idolatry was going on. They called it out. He says, they will minister before me. They will come into me and minister to me, says God so they also were called to be in that place there's there's in the new testament did you know like this is amazing to me the bible says in revelation 1 that jesus has made you all of you priests to god so you too are called to that place if you want to go you are called there there's various prophets that that had a uh uh, that place that opened up to them. We talked about David. He was a prophet. There were other ones like Elijah. He was called there. He said, I stand before the Lord of the, of the, of the heavens. Jeremiah was another one. Moses was a prophet. He was called there. And then Revelation 11. Turn over there if you would. Revelation 11. Now, this is, this scripture here, this is about that last time. In fact, the very end of that last time, the last few years. It's called the two witnesses. Verse 3, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, three and a half years, Clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. And what are they doing? Standing before the God of the earth. So they have a ticket in to that place next to God. Now, there's been a lot of teaching here. Like this is one of those amazing words that has been coming forth all over the place. Who are those witnesses? They are the church. They are the church of the Gentiles and the, and the church of the re. Uh, redeemed and restored Jews that will be saved and get it, that Jesus is the Messiah. So they are the two olive trees. One is Old Testament, one is New Testament. They all have Jesus. The two lampstands. The lampstands always refers to church. So these churches, the church made up of the two segments of Old Testament and New Testament, will be prophesying during the last half of the last period on earth. It's just real plain. Okay? Now then, what do they do? Well, they do exactly what Moses did and Elijah did, but especially Moses in Egypt. God said, I'm going to send you in. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. He ain't going to do it, so I'm going to do wonders. I'm going to do palas. And ten of them came. Bad deals. Look what these guys do. Verse 5. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. If he, anybody wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. That's like Elijah. They have power over the waters to turn into blood and to strike the earth with all plagues or wonders as often as they desire. So, They will be doing what Moses did during this time. Makes sense, right? It's crazy, isn't it? There it is. And they are the group that will make choices that will get them in to that place next to God where he's covering them with his hand and they're standing on the rock. Now, do you want to be one of them? This has been one of the most... Debated in mysterious scriptures in the Bible for, forever. And just here recently, it's like it's just sort of opened up. And it, it's like my granddad used to say when he preached. You know what? It says what it means. And it means what it says. It is just that simple. What are they doing? Prophesied. Doing wonders. When are they doing it? In the time of tribulation. There ain't no doubt about it. And if you fight that, fight it. I don't know what to tell you. It is what, it's, it, is what it is, folks. It's just so simple. And then when, it's, when it becomes that simple, then it's amazing how many other things begin to open up to you. A lot of scriptures that were troublesome just make sense. They make sense. All right, so here we are. These guys have that opportunity. And they're doing amazing things. And, you know, there's other scriptures that refer to this time uh, because they're going to see his glory. Now, what's Isaiah 60 says? There's a time coming when the glory of the Lord will rise upon his people. Gross darkness will cover the earth and the people. But the glory of the Lord will rise upon you. So there is that time. These guys are contrasting the glory of God with a darkness that's covered the earth by that time. They're just like light shining. And yet they're they're hiding in the secret place of the Most High. So they're hiding in right in the open. It's crazy, but that's what God's going to do. Now, how do you make the right decisions? Look at Matthew seven. I want to stand on that rock. That's what I want to do. Matthew seven. These two witnesses, the two churches, are doing miracles. No doubt about it. They're doing big time miracles. Now we know the devil will be doing miracles as well during that time. Lying wonders is what the scriptures call it. Lying wonders he will be doing at the same time that all this is going on with God's people. Just like magicians did in Egypt When Moses came, I think the first three or four of the plagues, the wonders that that Moses did, the magicians of Egypt duplicated. They could do it too. And but when they got to number three or four and he pulled one out, they said, "Man, this is the hand of God. We can't do that." So they, you know, at the end, the devil will be doing similar stuff as what the church will be doing. They will hang for a while. But God will just keep it going. It's like a, an amazing football team. Like right? they're, hey, we're Alabama. Nobody can stop us, right? They can hang for a quarter or two, but we're just gonna we're gonna run over them. Eventually, we'll just slaughter them. Well, Matthew seven. This kind of speaks at a time like that. Look at verse twenty one. He says, "Not everyone who says this is Jesus talking." By the way, not everyone who says to be Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me, in that day, I wonder what day we're talking about, when he's coming back that day. Lord, have we not, now look at these wonders, look at these miracles that these guys are doing. Have we not, and they're saying it because they know they have, they have done these things, we have Prophesied in your name. That's a miracle. Foretelling things is a miracle. How about casting out demons in your name? That's a miracle. And done many wonders in your name. Now, did Jesus say, no, you didn't do any of that? Not at all. He said, given, you've done all those things. Verse 23. I will declare to them, but I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What is lawlessness? You know what, folks? God has a will. God has a will. God has things he wants us to do. And things he doesn't want us to do. Some of them are really plain. The church has gotten so weak and infiltrated with doctrines of demons. That we have forgotten that there are such things as profane versus holy. We really have let that go. It's sick. We're a sick group. And so when you claim the name of Jesus and then say, but you know what, gay marriage is okay. I'm telling you what, you are lawless. I'm just putting it out there straight up. He has a will. There's no doubt about that will, especially about stuff that's that plain. You know, they had a deal the other day. They don't want to denote uh, your sexuality based upon the genitals that you're born with. What? I mean, you know, you're taking away something good. soon the baby's born, what is it? Boy? Girl? I mean, good grief. This is, it's beyond stupid now. But you know, it's like salesmanship. I used to be a salesman. Here's one of the things they train you. The first thing you got to do when you walk into a situation where you want to sell them something, is you tell them what we call the big fat lie. A big fat lie. And then you try to will it down to something they can accept. But you first blow their mind. And another way to say it's a big fat claim. Another way they used to describe this, if you say the the wrong thing enough times, they'll actually believe that it's the truth. So you throw a lie out there enough times, and eventually they think, well, that must be true. And that's what's happened to us. And Jesus said, you never got close to me. Because that word, I didn't, never knew you, is the word for intimacy. You never got close to me with that. You can't go close to me with that. With God, he is light, and there, in him there is no darkness at all. Zero. So when you try to drag that kind of stuff into the presence of a holy, completely lit God, you're fooling yourself if you think you're in his presence. Now, you may feel something, and you may be prophesying the heck out of something, but it ain't the spirit of God. It is a spirit of a demon. Amen. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's the way it is. Now, Jesus continues here. He says, therefore, verse 24, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house, what? On the rock. The rock is in the presence of God. It is Jesus. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and it beat on that house and it fell. Great was its fall. Folks, the storms are going to come. Life has storms. And at the end, the shaking, it will be a bad, bad, bad storm for those who built their house on something other than the truth of Jesus Christ. It's going, to be, it's going to be rough. But well, there's that rock there. Well, so what must we say about this? I, I, I preached a sermon about 30-something years ago, and it was about this phrase. There is a time coming where the people who use the gifts of the Spirit will be judged by the fruit of the Spirit. Think about it. Those who use the gifts of the Spirit, whether that's from God or not, will be judged by the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And there are lots of fruits of the Spirit love, joy, peace, long suffering, all those fruits of the Spirit. So, it's not that you can do a miracle. It's whether Christ is in you doing a miracle. You can do miracles by demons all day long. So don't get buffaloed watch what's of. There's going to be a lot of strong signs that's going to attend to us all. I said earlier that David was one who had a an invitation. He wrote extensively about it. And I'd like for us to look at a few of the things that he said. I think that we could be instructed by it. Look at Psalm 61. We're going to look at several, real quickly, Psalms of David where he wrote about this. I mean, he was all over the place in some of the Psalms that he wrote about this secret place, the hiding place, the you know, the the rock, the things that, that Moses was invited into. And the two witnesses are in there. We want to be there as well. Psalm sixty one, verse one. And and note this as we read these, these Psalms of David. It's almost like he he is a prophet as well. It's like he's almost like he's prophesying to us who would be that generation of the two witnesses. What should you be looking for? You think it's just like a picnic during that time? Do you realize how many people are going to be dying during that time? Al and I did a little calculation the other day. One place it talks about a third of the people will die. In another place it talks about a fourth of the people will die after the third is done. And when you add it all up, you know what it all adds up to? Half the people on the earth will die. Now, you can do the math. Seven billion, eight billion people on this earth. That's three and a half to four billion people dying during this time. It's not a picnic. And a lot of it, you're going to find out later, is coming through these people. If they come at them, what must they be done to, to those that attack these guys? They must be killed in this manner. So as they attack the body of Christ, bam! There will be a response from God. That will not win the election for us. Have you noticed that Trump is a good example of that? He's done a lot of right things. Did that give him accolades? And oh yeah, you're the man of the year. It got exactly the opposite. Did it not? you think you're any different? Not at all. So... What is it like in a time like that? And what must you conduct yourself like during a time like that? Well, David kind of slates to it. Psalms 61, verse 1. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. Now look at this next phrase. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. That is higher than I. Isn't that a great scripture? There's going to be some overwhelming times. The storms are coming like a flood. Lead me to that place, God. That's right next to you. That rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter, a refuge for me. A strong tower from the enemy. And that's what we need during that time. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter or the hiding place of your wings. You come up here, Moses, and I'm going to cover you with my hand or with my wings. You will be hidden. You will be safe. My glory is going to be revealed, but you'll be okay. Look in the next psalm. There's another psalm of David. Verse 3, how long, I mean, this is a, like a message to, those, to the nations and to the people who will not choose God during this time we're talking of. How long will you attack a man or the two witnesses? You shall be slain, all of you, four billion, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies, they do bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. CNN, MSNBC, NBC, New York Times, Washington Post, media, Hollywood. That's them. How long will you attack a man? Well, they can get up every day to attack him some more. And they will do that to you. Well, look down to verse 5. So here's what the way we should be conducting ourselves in times like that when it comes at us. Verse 5. My soul. Wait patiently or wait silently for God alone, just God. For my expectation or hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge. Is in God. So there we have it again. The rock, the rock, the rock, the place of hiding. Look at Psalm 16. Another Psalm of David. Verse 8. David says this, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved or shaken. So David is saying, look, I'm in that place with God, and I have set him always before me. Now, my question to you, and this is a challenge, I'll tell you, as I think you hopefully will begin to experience what I'm talking about today. I know I have Several times. It's just amazing. Will you stay there? Can you say, like David, I have set the Lord always before me. I have set him at my right hand. I'm at his right hand. We're together here. I'm, I will not be shaken. How can he say that, folks? And here's here's your instruction in righteousness here. How can you get to where David is right there? Back up to verse 5. Here's how you do it. You make a choice. Oh, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. That's how you get there. You make a quality choice in your own heart. No one can make it for you. And get this. No man can take it away. This is your choice. It's private. And you can, you can just do it. If you want to say it, I would really counsel you to think about it before you even say it. I, I'm being honest with you. If you're not willing to stand up to it, don't say it. It would be better for you not to say it at all. But if you think you like that, then tell him, God, I am choosing you as my portion. You are my reward. If I have nothing left in life, like Moses said, if you don't go with us, don't send me. I'd rather stay right here in the wilderness, in West by God, Texas, as they say, and see no no mountains, no nothing good. If I can see you, I'll be okay. You're my portion. It's not what I can get or who I can be with or a raise or a new pickup. None of that crap matters, pardon me. It's you. What must I do to have you? I will do it. And that's the commitment it takes. What must I do? I will do it. Then get ready. Because it can rally you a little bit. But David did that. You know, maybe you ought to take a couple a lessons. Cop a clue, dude. Look over in... Uh, Psalms 4. You know what, when you do that another Psalm of David, by the way. When you do that, don't think that, that God doesn't notice. And I tell you, I'll be honest with you. It touches his heart. I mean it really it really gets to God. Did you know you can make God cry? Or you can make God rejoice. You can get God into his emotions. Do you think God has emotions? There's a scripture that says he's angry with the wicked all day long. Well, that's an emotion. You can grieve the Spirit of God. You can hurt his feelings. God has emotions. How else do you think he came up with the eye to give you the emotions? He was a little bit overboard with the females, I think. But he did give everybody some emotions. It was a joke. That's another emotion. If you don't have a sense of humor, I don't know what's that about you. God is that way. You know, I tell you, it's kind of cool to, to meet anyone, husband and wives. Isn't it great when you meet at the level of the emotion? Isn't it really better? Lady, ladies, I know it is. I'm talking to the men. Men, isn't it really better when you're with her in the emotional realm? Oh, <laughs> dobla. blah, When it's good. It's really good. There's nothing like it. But I will agree with you when it's the other emotion. You know, go see God when he's angry with the wicked every day. You know, you do not want that. Yeah. But, you know, that that, that amazing moment, like when you're with your wife and you're just together in the emotional thing. I wouldn't trade for it, would you? I would die for it. That's where God is. And so when he sees someone come to him like that, with that level of commitment, males, that's, that's our part, I'm committing to you, because you are my portion. God will respond to that in Psalms 4, verse 2. It's, verse 2 is God speaking. I can see him speaking to the world during the times of the two witnesses. How long, O sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Then he turns from them and he looks to the ones who chose him as their portion. Know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. Now we need to look at this. Set apart. That's that same word, Pala. Same thing that he did with his people in Egypt. I have made a difference between you and my people. I have set apart for himself. I love the Vulgate. He has made them wonderful. I ask you the question up front Are you willing to be made a wonder and be separated? That's what he wants. He wants you to be different. That makes you beautiful in his eyes. And he says, and who gets this treatment? Him who is godly. Oh, I have to work for it. No, 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 no. You completely misunderstood God. That word godly is the word kaseed. It is the person who has been the object of and the recipient of, he took it in, the loyal love of God or the mercy of God. In other words, David was a Caseed, and he 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 wrote about it after he got busted with Bathsheba. That is a Cassid. A godly person. Did David blow it? He kind of messed it up with Bathsheba. And you know, Uriah died because of it. He wrote a couple of psalms about it. He said, Man, I'm busted. I will confess my sin before you. I just don't just don't go away from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't leave me like Moses, without your presence. David did exactly what Moses did in his worst moment. And he beg God, don't leave me. And God said, you got it. And then David comes back and writes another song, blessed is the man whose iniquities is forgiven. That's the blessed person. That's the godly man. It's not the perfect man. It's the godly man. You got it? It's us. If we're just honest. You're going to fall? Yeah, you fall. Everybody falls. But the righteous gets brought back up and stands before his God and says, you know, thank God for the blood of Jesus. It's enough to cleanse me from that unrighteousness too and just receive it. God reserves those for himself. It leads us to this. You know, you're actually called to this. You may wonder, well, am I called to this? Oh, yeah. Psalm 139. I love it. I love the reaction to Psalm 139. Oh, my God. <laughs> the ever-present Psalm 139. This has been going on for seven years. My sister called me the other day and said, Have you ever read Psalm 139? <laughs> Let me tell you about it. I'll give you volumes of sermons about Psalm 139. You're called to it. You're called to have this placement as a wonderful person. A pala. You're called to it. Verse 13. David wrote this too, by the way. <laughs> this guy. He tells guys that like, you, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous, pala. Marvelous are your works. What is his work that is marvelous? The seed that became you. He's talking about his birth, is he not? You formed my parts in my mother's womb. This is your work, God. This is your work. When you became born again, the seed of the Lord, his marvelous seed, came into your life, and you were born again by the Spirit. And you became a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. Marvelous is that word. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days that were fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. In other words, the days that he fashioned for me are in line with and as a a function or an extension of the, the marvelous thing that he started with. That seed is a holy seed. And so the the wonder of that seed should frame and be a part of all the days of my life. But were they? No. Hence, Psalm 139. We strayed. Did we not? But that wasn't God's intent. And yet God is not defeated by our mistakes and our willful sins even. In fact, he's still thinking about it. Y'all remember what Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says? Y'all remember that scripture? I know the thoughts that I have for you. I'll just, I'll quote it to you. You say right where you're at. I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. That's God's thoughts. The thoughts that he has for us is to give you a future and a hope. They're not evil, they're good, amen. They're good, and when He created you in Psalm one thirty nine, His thoughts were about that good thing. Okay, and verse seventeen, the psalmist, David, wakes up to it, says, God, how precious also are Your thoughts to me, O Lord. You're thinking about me. Uh, in other words, I'm plugged into what You've always thought, and is there just a few of? Oh no, no, no. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. That's how many thoughts that God has for you. That's crazy. What he's thinking, he's numbering the hairs on your head. I mean, he's noticing sparrows that might fall to the ground. He notices that. You know, he sees it all. He's always thinking about you. And he's thinking about you in the context of the way he originally designed you to be. A wonder. Isn't that great? I love that stuff. And then he says this, when I awake, I am still with you. Now what does that mean, when I awake? Is this all a dream? I don't think so. I think what he's really doing is referring to the rest of Psalm 139. If you go back and read the first part of it, he says, man, I tried to get away from you. I tried to make my bed in hell. I found that you were there. I I, I went everywhere in life to get away from you. But I found that you were there. I finally woke up from my stupidity like a prodigal and said, it was better in my father's house than it is in what I chose. I'm going back. So the psalmist says, I I wake, and I'm back in the stream of your thoughts, and the way you really wanted it to be, I'm going back. And then verse 23 says, So search me, O God, and know my heart, try me, and know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and then lead me back to the way everlasting. That's Psalm 139 in its essence, right there. And then it's almost like he's answering it. Psalm 17, go back, Psalm 17, verse 3, it's like he's answering his cry of Psalms 139, search me, oh God, he says, verse 3, you have tested my heart, you have, you have visited me in the night, you have tried me, and I found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept, my, kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths that my footsteps, footsteps may not slip. You know, I kind of got that underlined. You know, even folks, when you, when you wake up from your slumbering lifestyle of stupid and come back to God, don't ever think that you got it made. That, that you don't have to worry about what you choose today. The prayer should be, don't let me slip. I don't want to slip away. Hebrews talk about we, we The salvation we got, we shouldn't let it slip away. And like the kiddo says, we nibble our way to lostness. It's kind of like the holidays. How many have already swore beforehand that you're not going to gain weight? The average American will gain six pounds during the holidays. Something you got to leg up on that already? I see. You swore you wouldn't do it. We're not a week into it, and you've already done it. It slips away. Get right back up. Go right back up to the real deal. Um, let's keep reading here. I've called upon you, for you will hear me, Lord God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. And so he, he, he goes right back to the Pala. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. See, it's at the sign of God, the right hand of God, that we find all these wonderful things. Part of it is that Pala. He's that way too. But his Pala is based upon his loving kindness. And that loving kindness is that word we said a while ago his kasid, his mercy. He's loyal. To you, even when you're not. Sometimes we're unfaithful and we slip. God's faithful. He always stands there. Show it to me. Oh, you who who saved those who trusted you from those who rise up against them. And here we go again into the two witnesses section. There will be those who rise up against us because they don't, like one person said, it's not like they want what we have. They just don't want us to have it. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. That will be our experience. The deadly enemies, they won't like it. Folks, one of the steady themes in the book of Revelation is that the wicked refuse to repent. They choose to not repent even in the face of this overwhelming sign from God. One thing after another, and they still won't repent. Isn't that the way we see the world today? I mean, they get up every day and broadcast another round of accusations, and and it's just crazy. So it's a sign of the times we're living in. So David has this prayer, and uh, and this prayer right here, I think, is, is the essence of what we've tried to bring out today, the test. Arise, Lord. Confront him and cast him down, these enemies. And then this, deliver my life from the wicked with your sword, with your hand from men, O Lord. And what men? Deliver me from these men, from men of the world who have their portion in this life. David says, Lord, you are my portion. Deliver me from the people who have their portion in this world. In this life, they choose this world, this life, as opposed to what I've chosen. Deliver me from them. Look at verse 15. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. I'll just stay in your presence, and it's making me like you. Last scripture. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3. When David wrote this, when when I... will see your face in righteousness. I'll be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. They think that that was the uh, inspiration for John, the apostle, to write this verse. Chapter 3 of 1 John, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know this, that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John got that by reading the Psalm of David. When I awake, I will be satisfied to be like you. That's that's what makes my ticket run, is you. All right. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us such a call. It is a special call. And my prayer is that we would all have ears to hear it. Um, But you know, Lord. And uh, I just pray that you will lead us all to the choices that are before us. Give us grace when we are there. And let us also have grace for each other. That we can give everyone the right to make their own choice. And I give you the praise, Lord, that you give us the grace to do the right choice. We receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. See you all Wednesday.